Hey guys, um, you may have realized that uh, during the course of this episode I made reference to uh, a later draft that I was going to discuss or um, uh, mentioned that you know I, I had several shares of the player as you're going to find out. Um, unfortunately we had some te technical issues tonight um, and we had to edit the episode uh, to reflect just the TGFBI draft and not the other draft which I was going to speak about. Uh, because the recording, it, it cut off at some point, um, and frankly, I didn't realize that it cut off, so um, it would have been, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of me talking about one draft, and then, um, you know, it's simply cutting off at that point. So um, what we did was just cut it at the one draft and make it as high quality as we could. You know, I apologize for... Uh, the fact that the episode is somewhat incomplete, um, but, you know, we'll be back next week and, you know, we can, we would probably be best suited to discuss um, the other draft with the other members of the staff anyway. Um, again, thanks so much for listening. I hope you found the episode useful and we'll be back next week. Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan flying solo tonight and we have a couple of draft reviews for you tonight. I'm going to walk you through my TGFBI draft from a few weeks ago. But let's kick off tonight's show with some news items. Uh, the big news is Luis Severino is out until at least May due to his shoulder problem. Uh, obviously, not a good look. Um, if you have not drafted yet, if you're going forward this weekend, you're going to have to push Severino down your board a bit. Um where he starts to become interesting to me is probably in the 35 starting pitcher range um, off the top of my head. I, I think that that's a pretty decent spot for him. Obviously, he presents some upside there. If you can get him as uh, your fourth starting pitcher, that's really, really ideal. Um, but even if you've got two solid names, I have no issue with him as the third. Um, you just have to make sure that you grab some safety down the line. Uh, you know, I fully expect him to return and to be healthy, but, um, you know, you never, you can never really can tell with injuries. Um, and the fact that the time frame is now May, you know, you start to look at that through an optimistic lens and you can get into the middle of May and then June and you're talking about a real, real significant chunk of the season. Not that a month isn't significant, but... Um, it could be a long time before we see Luis Severino. Uh, A.J. Minter, Mike Fultonevich, Andrew Heaney are all not going to be ready for opening day. Uh, Minter is throwing. Um, Heaney, I believe, was shut down for um, elbow soreness. Um, Fulty also, I believe, is throwing. Um, neither Fulty nor Minter are throwing from the mound. Uh, Heaney has not started a throwing program yet. Jimmy Nelson also is not going to be a part of the Brewers roster on opening day. But I, I think that that's looking more like a fifth starter type deal where um, they're going to give him a little bit more time in spring training since they handled him with kid gloves and bring him up in mid-April. Uh, you'll have to look for information as to timeline as to the others. Um, but I am most optimistic on Heaney uh, given the fact that I feel like this is more precautionary than anything else. Uh, Kershaw is about three weeks out, um, so we're looking mid-April for him. Ross Stripling is going to be in the rotation until he returns. 
which basically puts tripling in mid-April. So we're looking at about two, maybe three turns through the rotation for tripling. Um, you know, and there's a lot that can happen over the course of um, you know two, three weeks of the Major League Baseball season, especially when you're in the rotation with guys like uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Rich Hill. Um, so there is a shot that you know Stripling is in the rotation, gets his foot in the door, and stays there um, through attrition. You know we know that the Dodgers like to play games with the DL. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if they do it again. And Stripling is mostly a starting pitcher this year. I mean I have trouble finding his path to more than you know 130 to 140 innings. But I have that problem with a lot of the Dodgers starting pitchers uh, outside of Walker Bueller. So I, I, I think that Stripling is a decent grab in drafts, of course, um, as I voiced previously. Um, in terms of Kershaw, I think you've got to view him right around SP20. Um, you know, I wouldn't have an issue if you were taking him in the, the Patrick Corbin, James Paxton range. Um, or slightly thereafter around Jamison Tyone and Zach Greinke. Uh, I think that the innings that he does give you will be very good. I think the fact that he has seen some progression and the news has been mostly positive is a good thing. Of course, you don't want to overrate that, but the people that overrate that are going to be taking Kershaw, you know, SP10, SP11, SP12, um, I'm more talking in the SP 17 to 22 type range. I, I think that Kershaw does have a decent shot to return some value at that slot. Um, it's not a pick that's for the weak of heart. And much like we talked about with Severino, I think you need um, to get some insurance in your rotation to make sure you have the innings uh, to be able to absorb a, a Kershaw injury. Now, of course, that plays better where... You know, you're talking a single league format as opposed to something with an overall component. But um, in any event, I, I think that that's, that's the way that you're going to have to handle Kershaw. Yu uh, Darvish has a blister. He had to leave his start. He's throwing Friday. Not terribly concerned about that. Uh, Matt Strom and Chris Paddock have moved closer to a rotation spot in San Diego. Um, we, I saw Strom pitch today. Um, yeah, I, I thought he looked great. The slider was really working. Um, he, he made a Brewers lineup that has seen him before um, in his previous start um, look pretty foolish on a number of occasions. And when they did make contact, they the contact was not of a strong variety. Um, and, you know, Paddock, Paddock looks awesome with his fastball command. Um, you know, the, the velocity has... Um, you know, sat in the mid to upper 90s, um, mostly touching upper 90s. But when you can command your fastball that way in the mid 90s, you're you've got a really really strong foundation. As I've mentioned, that's something that I've really looked for in pitchers this year, which is strong um, fastballs. And Paddock certainly has that. Uh, I like the change a lot, and the curve is coming around. I think both of those guys are, are, are players to target this weekend. You will not have them for the entire season, but I could definitely see a scenario where you get them through 130-some-odd innings, sort of like the Los Angeles Dodgers starters, uh, without the premium involved. Although, 
they are both rapidly rising up draft boards, uh, as you're going to see tonight. <laughs> Craig, Craig Kimbrell uh, is talking to the Brewers. Uh, when it comes to that, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, you know, uh, the Brewers obviously have an amazing pen. Their rotation is interesting, but it's a lot of question marks. So I don't know if their thought process is reinforce the pen because the rotation isn't as strong. And you can kind of use Knievel and you can use Jeffries and you can use Hader to supplement the rotation. And then you get it to Kimbrell in the back end. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it seems to me that there are other teams out there that could use Kimbrell more than Milwaukee. So with that being said, I, I just don't know that I see this being the location where Kimbrell ends up. Uh, Michael Fulmer has to have Tommy John. He's going to be done for the year. Of course, he had the um, issue with the velocity earlier this spring where he was down five, six, seven miles per hour over last year. Um, the thought was that it was a lower body issue with his mechanics. That has turned out to be false. And he has got to go under the knife for Tommy John. So he will miss this season and probably a portion of next season. Uh, finally, Chung Ho Gong has won the Pirates' third base job. I, I think he's a great late flyer with decent average skills and pop, and he's got a pretty decent shot uh, to hit in the middle of that lineup or to work his way into the middle of that lineup, which is not outstanding, but there are players there um, that he can certainly drive in. Um, and I, I should add, uh, not as the as I falsely stated that Gong was the last news item, uh, Gregory Polanco is also on his way back, um, and he could start playing in minor league games in mid-April, which would put him uh, on the path to return roughly, I, I would say probably early May would be more realistic, potentially late April. Um, so, you know, he's another name to keep an eye on given the positive reports. Okay, so I'm going to kick it off with my TGFBI draft. I drafted in League 6. Um, I selected um, fifth in this format. I believe that in the um, the preferences, I had had five as my second option behind one. And lo and behold, I got the player that I wanted, Nolan Arenado, um, with Betts, Trout, Scherzer, and Jose Ramirez coming off the board before I got Nolan Arenado. And I, I've emphasized this repeatedly on this podcast. You know, I want I want the pop. And I want the elite average. And Arenado gives me both of those things along with um, a, a really solid foundation in uh, run production, specifically RBIs in past seasons. Although there has been talk that the Rockies might hit him second this year, which I would have absolutely no problem with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was, he was the number um, four player on my board. So to get him at five, I thought there was a little bit of value there. I know that he's typically been going towards the back, um, the back or middle of the NFBC drafts. So this might be a little high compared to his ADP, but uh, I was very happy to get him there. And, and my thought was that I had a realistic shot to go Arenado and then come back and take Charlie Blackman and sort of get the, the Colorado pairing, number one. Number two, get... Um, the potential RBI leader and the potential runs leader. Uh, however, coming back in round two, I saw Paul Goldschmidt was sitting there and 
had to struggle with which one to take. And I ended up taking Goldschmidt because I believe that the first base pool is um, weaker than it is in outfield. At least at the moment, I felt that way. Uh, I can tell you in retrospect, I'm not convinced that that's true in a five outfielder format. Um, But I ended up taking Goldschmidt. No regrets. I mean, Goldschmidt's outstanding. I'm probably one of the highest people in the industry on him. Uh, you know, I've, I've got him down for 33 bombs, 12 steals, 290-plus average, 900-plus OPS. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not at all concerned about last year's struggles. I, I think that a lot of that might have been noise from the ballpark. Um, he's obviously changed venues now. I think that he's going to fit fantastically into that Cardinals lineup. And I, I just have no real concerns about Goldschmidt. I know some people have said, well, he's getting up there in years. He didn't run as much last year. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about range of outcomes, right, you know, you, you can't look at Goldschmidt as a 25 steal guy anymore, and I don't think anybody does. But I would put seven steals towards the lower end of his probable range of outcomes. We haven't seen any significant decline in terms of his speed. Um, I know the Cardinals didn't haven't run much in recent years, but they've got a new manager now. And I've said this before to, to my colleagues, and I believe I've said it on the air. I mean, you don't... Paul Goldsmith's not the type of player you're going to tell you can't steal first base. Um, he's one of the league's elite players, uh, and he's he's also a very good base runner, generally speaking, so... Um, he, he scores pretty well in terms of efficiency, so I'm not terribly concerned about him being tied to first base. Um, Blackman, by the way, went at the end of the round, uh, so he lasted another one, two, three, four picks. Um, and the garage guys started out with Mookie Betts and Charlie Blackman, which is a fantastic combo. Um, Okay, so then uh, coming back around, uh, my thought was Arenado, Goldschmidt, and then grab a pitcher. Um, I was hoping that one that I liked would get back to me. Uh, I ended up taking Carlos Carrasco. I see now that in order to take Carrasco, I passed on Trevor Bauer. Uh, That is not something that I would do at this present time, uh, but apparently it is something that I did decide to do in the moment a few weeks ago. but Carrasco is super solid. You know, I, I wanted I wanted the safe floor. I wanted the, um, you know, the ten plus K per nine, the the low threes ERA, uh, the the filthy change up, uh, the ideal situation in the AL Central, and uh, and I I do have Carrasco quite a bit higher than than most. I mean, Carrasco tends to fall in the outer realm of this range of starting pitchers. And I clearly see him um, in the middle of this sort of tier of, of aces, or, or if you want to call it tier two, because you have Scherzer and DeGrom or, and maybe Sale in a separate tier. Um, you know, I've got Carrasco inside my top 10. So it's not a pick that I in any way feel bad about at this moment. It's just I probably would have taken Bauer over him at this point. But. Um, you know, I'm perfectly fine with Carrasco being the ace of my staff. I feel like he provides me with a, a pretty safe floor. A pretty safe floor. Um, you know, I don't see any way that he really falls outside the top 20 to 25 starting pitchers, barring injury. Um, 
you know, age really isn't a concern with him just yet. I've looked, I've watched him pitch this spring. I, th- I think he looks pretty good. Um, then coming back around four, um, you know, I, I wanted Gary Sanchez in this format because it is a two-catcher format. Uh, you know, I feel like he's a major difference maker. I know last year obviously was a, uh, a terror for folks, and believe me, I, I was on it. Um, I had a couple of shares of Sanchez uh, and was one of the people taking him pretty high. So, yeah, I, I mean, I felt the pain last year, but I'm not going to let that deter me. Stackhouse data was still very, very strong. I, I think that there was an injury here with his shoulder in addition to some other nagging stuff that he was dealing with. And, you know, I, I think he was a little bit snake bit in terms of what happened, and I think that shows in the BABIP. I mean, obviously, there some of the issues were his own. I mean, there were times where he just seemed lost at the plate. Um, there weren't very many line drives in the profile. There were a ton of infield pops up, pop-ups. So, um, you know, the, there were issues there, but I'm willing to give Sanchez another shot um, in an attempt to cash in on the upside as the Yankees' everyday catcher, a guy that can hit 30-plus bombs um, and bat around 260, 265, which I believe is his true talent. I mean, even, even after last year's dreadful BABIP season, um, he's still a 270-some-odd career BABIP guy. And I think last year is a total outlier. So, I mean, I view him more as like a 285-type Babbitt talent. Combine that with the power um, and a strikeout rate that's typically been non-egregious. Um, you know, I, I just I don't have many reasons to doubt Sanchez other than, you know, just a dreadful year with dreadful luck and a lot of injuries. And that's exactly the type of asset that I like to buy back in on. Um, so I, I pulled the uh, switch on Gary here. And, um, you know, I, I actually think it's a, it's a really nice pick. For, for the record, he went uh, six picks after JT Real Muto here. Uh, okay, so then round five, coming back, I've, I've got Gary along with two good average sources. And, and I was very concerned about batting average in this format because it was something that bit me last year. Um, so coming back, I, I took Daniel Murphy. Um, I felt like there were still plenty of outfielders on the board uh, that I liked. I wanted um, the elite batting average from Murphy. I wanted to lock in uh, a capable asset at second base as well um, because I view second base as a position that sort of has a, a pretty steep cliff after a certain point. Um, you know, obviously nothing wrong with having two Rockies. I, I think that, you know, the run production will be there for Murph as well. I think he could hit 25 bombs, you know, in the mid-20s range. And the batting average, he could, he could be very easily lead Major League Baseball, provided he stays healthy. And all indications are that he is healthy. Um, and, and for the most part, I mean, in the second half last year, when he finally did get healthy after um, dealing with the knee problem, he was pretty much back to form in terms of what he did. So there's there's not much of a reason to doubt him there. Um, coming back around round six, I took Mitch Haniger. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've been on Mitch Haniger for, for a while now. Um, this is sort of where I just want to take an aside and just note. I mean, looking. At this, I waited until round six, and this is pick. Um, 
This is pick 86. So I'm, I'm, I've waited until this point to take my first outfielder. And while I like Mitch Hanniger, and, and I do think that there is actually a little bit of upside that's sort of being ignored here, and I think the upside comes in the form of speed um, on a team that is going to need to maybe not create offense, but they're going to need to score runs in order to win ball games because I don't think their pitching staff is strong enough. And generally, I don't think that they're overly competitive. So I think that lends itself more to uh, a, a sort of a freelance attitude on the base pass. Uh, Mitch has always, stro- uh, always scored well as a base runner. Um, he's a very heady player. He's got enough athleticism to certainly steal bases. Um, he gets on base enough to steal bases, and he's going to be hitting second in that lineup, so the volume of plate appearances should be there. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I'm not going to project him for something like 15, 16, 17, 18, but I feel comfortable projecting him in the double-digit range, low double-digit range, to go with 25, 26, 27 homer pop. I believe that the batting average is something that the projection systems have missed on. Um, you know, watching Mitch play, the amount of hard contact he makes, the types of contact he makes, his ability to control the strike zone. Uh, to me, I think he's a, a 275 hitter, true talent. Uh, and I think the projection systems have him down in the low 260s. So, I mean, this is just a, a five-cat a five cat guy um, at a position of, of need at this point because I haven't taken an outfielder. And while Mitch maybe doesn't have the sort of upside that a... Yasiel Puig might have, um, I, I feel much better about his floor as well. So coming back in round seven, uh, I dipped back into the pitching pool. Um, I, I took Zach Wheeler. Um, some, got, some pitchers that were on the board at this point that I took Wheeler over, Herman Marquez, uh, Luis Castillo, Miles Mikolas, um, Chris Archer a couple of rounds later. And it wasn't, it wasn't really close to me. This was one I was sweating out. I really wanted Zach Wheeler. Um, you know, I've said it on the podcast before, and then I've got another share of him, which I'm going to, you know, talk about tonight, and I won't go into detail about Zach Wheeler again. But it's just, it, it shows that this was a player that I really wanted um, and, and have really prioritized. Uh, you know, I, when we talked about the starting, we talked about him in the starting pitching preview, that the fastball is fantastic. I, I, it's a great A pitch, and he's got uh, a, a, a plethora of secondary options that gives him a sort of a high ceiling with each start and uh, the ability to have a high floor now that the fastball has taken a step forward. Um, you know, the team around him is, is better. I, I think that that gives him a better shot at wins for whatever that's worth and whatever your format is. But in the second half last year, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, and not only does he have the ability, I think, to generate more swing and miss than he's shown, but he's also a fantastic manager of contact. Um, he's among the league leaders in soft contact allowed and among the league leaders in limiting hard contact last year. So you, you've got the stuff to generate whiffs. You've got the, jeff, the stuff to, to generate outs when the ball is put in play. Uh, you've got a high ceiling in terms of what he can do on a start-to-start basis along with the high floor because of the fastball. It's a very appealing package. I mean, the only thing, the only question there is health. And I'm just 
I've never been one to, you know, chase um, or, or be chased away by, by injury history, especially when a guy's coming off a season where, you know, he threw, uh, I think it was, if I think it might have been over 180 innings. So, you know, he's, he's shown the ability to stay healthy. I, I have no reason to doubt that he will at this point. And I believe his velocity has been actually up a tick this spring. So by every indication, he's feeling good. Uh, round eight, I decided to dip it to the closer pool because they really started to go. After I took Wheeler, Sean Doolittle, Felipe Vasquez, Rysel Iglesias, uh, Jose Leclerc, Corey Knable, and then I took Kirby Yates. Um, Yates is a guy I've identified as the as the pitcher that I, I think could potentially pull a Blake Trinan this year. Obviously, this isn't the Blake Trinan price from last year. But there was a run, and uh, I felt like there was a significant drop-off after Yates. Um, You know, I look at guys that went after him. You know, you got your Wade Davises. You've got your Ken Giles, David Robertson, who who may or may not have the job, Jose Alvarado, who might open sometimes, uh, Cody Allen coming off a bad season last year. Uh, So, you know, to me, he was the end of the tier. I, I felt like I needed to grab him here. Um, he's got outstanding swing and miss stuff. Uh, the K rate is going to be fantastic. He'll help my ratios. And, you know, San Diego's made the move for Manny Machado now. They're talking about bringing Paddock, um, you know, potentially even him being the opening day starter, which I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But he, he, there's every reason to believe that Paddock is going to be up early this year. Um, they're, they're, I believe they will move Strom into the rotation. Uh, so, I mean, I, they're just making a lot of moves that indicate to me that they want to win, um, or at least compete. And with that, I, I just don't know that Yates is going to be a trade asset for them. Um, I think they might be inclined to keep him. And even if they don't, I mean, there, there is a decent shot. He goes somewhere and ends up the closer too, uh, because I think the skills are, are that good. So, you know, even even if it is only you know four months of saves, I'm I'm perfectly happy with it at this point. Uh, coming back in round nine, I took Michael Brantley. Um, there was another little mini outfielder run here after I took Yates. Uh, Malik Smith went off the board. Um, Andrew McCutcheon went off the board, and um, you know Michael Brantley was the next guy for me. Um, again, uh, I had a very big focus on batting average because I know in a league with 15 teams and five outfielders and, and a pretty deep bench for, for what it's worth, um, you're going to have some batting average drags. And now I've got Arenado who's going to hit 290. I've got Goldschmidt who's going to hit 290. I've got Daniel Murphy who's going to hit over 300. And I've got Michael Brantley, who in all likelihood is going to hit over 290. So I've given myself a solid batting average base. He, he does a little bit of everything, you know, high teens pop, low teens uh, steals. And I see no reason why the run production can't be just as good in Houston as it was in Cleveland last year. Um, Houston has a ton of talented bats. Um, so whether Brantley's in the middle of the lineup or he's at the top, um, and he fits in well regardless of, of where he's going to hit because he's a left-handed hitter, and so many of their top-end hitters are righties. I mean, you think about Altuve. Um, you think about uh, Correa, 
Bregman, Springer, um, you know, they, they, they all hit right-handed. Um, actually, I just want to confirm Bregman is not a switch hitter, but I, I believe that he hits right-handed. Yeah, Bregman's already okay. So, so yeah, I mean you have a lot of right-handed bats there, and Brantley fits in nicely across any of those four slots, even at the back end of it, if they want to stack the four righties and then hit them with the lefty. Um, so yeah, I, I like Brantley, and again, you know he's like Wheeler. Um, he was healthy last year, and I've got no indication that there's a problem. So uh, I'll take my shot here, and you know it's not a it's not an extreme asset, right? Like it's not this isn't uh, Trey Turner, this isn't um, Giancarlo Stanton. It, this this is a player that has a skill set that is is unique, but it's it's also not irreplaceable. So it, he's, he's a decent asset to also take the risk on in terms of, you know, betting on him at this cost and then not having to undo your whole team if it goes south. Okay, and then coming back, you know, once again, I'm staring at Hanniger and Brantley and um, I'm concerned about my outfield still. Um, the pitchers are also starting to go. So I, I was concerned with with Stephen Piscotti, um, who was my first pick, and then Yu Darvish, who I ended up getting on, on the rat. So I, I got both of them. Um, but P- Piscotti was uh, a target here. I mean, I'm a big believer in what he did uh, over the season second half. I mean, obviously he, he went through um, – you know his 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 personal hell with with his mother, which is incredibly sad. Um, and, and you know that's sort of the human element in all this. And um, you know after after she passed, and you know he 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 went he went through his grief cycle or whatever it was. You know I don't pretend to get inside the guy's head, but there's there's no question that he certainly was a much better hitter and had returned to his prior form. And probably even exceeded what he did with the Cardinals in the second half. Um, and he, the the first game of the season was yesterday morning because I'm recording at twelve thirty at night. Um, was yesterday morning and he popped a, the first homer of the year straight out the center field off of Marco Gonzalez. Uh, he was hitting three in the A's lineup. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing or if it's just against lefties and he'll shift back to the five hole against uh, righties. But in in any event, that lineup is awesome. Um, And him being at the center of it means there's going to be plenty of run production, as we saw last year. Um, I've always been a big fan of his. I I think that the batting average can also come up. Um, I think he's true talent, much like Hanager, like a 275-280 hitter. He's sort of had a little bit worse on the Babbitt block. Um, I can see that turning around. We've got lots of hard contact here. Um, obviously, Oakland's a difficult park to hit in, so maybe that does drag him down a little bit. But, yeah, I, I, I think that Piscotti was among one of the better hitters in baseball in the second half, and if he wasn't in Oakland and was in, you know, Boston or um, on the Yankees or in Milwaukee, for instance, I think he, he would be given a lot more respect than this. And be going much higher. 
you uh, Darvish on the wrap. This is obviously pre-blister, but uh, again, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm not terribly concerned about it. He's throwing on Friday. Um, he's come out. He's looked pretty good this spring when he has thrown. He had that rough first outing, uh, but has since rebounded. The velocity's good. He says he's feeling good. Uh, the arsenal looks looks intact. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is a guy that was annually taken in, inside the top 15, top 20 starting pitchers. And now he's going, um, you know, I believe when we did the ADP show, he was he was going close to 40 or even outside the top 40. And, and that's that's in line with what he went for here. I mean, he's you're looking at, a, at an arm that's uh, roughly just glaring at the screen, probably about 35 or so. And, and I think that's a fantastic price. Now, yeah, I am carrying a little bit of risk with Wheeler and Darvish, but that's why I felt like I wanted to take Carrasco to get the get the base. And, um, you know, I think I've got a pretty decent shot at three top 30 starting pitchers, and that might even be light in my estimation, um, you know, based upon how I project them and how how I rank them. But, I mean, if, if you have... Th- uh, three top 30 starting pitchers in a 15-team league, you're you're still off to a great start. And I haven't spent an obscene amount of draft capital on those three starters. I mean, I'm, I'm picking them in round three, round seven, and round 11. Um, so, you know, it's a it, it's it's been a, a nice, uh, at least in, in my opinion, a, a, a nice collection of pitchers for the price that I paid them. Uh, okay, so coming back around 12, this is sort of uh, these these three picks coming up here aren't my favorite and the reason is is that they were really need picks and uh, part of its position and part of it I felt like I needed some speed so round 12 I took Austin Meadows um, you know there's there's been talk of him hitting at the top of the Tampa lineup um, you know, left-handed hitter, plus defender, uh, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. You know, I think there is the potential for him to steal 20-plus bases and hit high teens homers with a respectable batting average. And hopefully it comes at the top of the lineup. But again, this was just simple math. I mean, my hitters just haven't to this point been base dealers. So I mean, I've got Arenado who doesn't steal. I got Goldschmidt who's going to who's going to chip in somewhere between ten and fifteen in my mind. Uh, Sanchez doesn't run. Murphy doesn't run. Hanniger I think can steal double digits, but it's on the low end. Brantley I think can steal double digits on the low end. Piscotti, you're looking maybe a handful. So I felt like I started. I needed to start to add to the speed base, and this is something that we've gone on about on this podcast, which is that. People are insane over speed, but when, you, when you're playing in a 15-team format, you, you start to see the scarcity of it, um, whereas I think that that's something that's something of a disconnect is when you, when you go to a, a, a format that's not as deep, the speed is more plentiful, and um, you know, when you go to a head-to-head format and you don't have to worry about an overall component, or even in a roto format where you don't have an overall component, the need to to have such a significant base in speed is not is simply not as important and not as prioritized. But 
you know, I mean, even in this draft, you can, you, I mean, I, I'm going to give you some of the names now. I mean, I mentioned Malik Smith in round nine. Um, at that point, he was still hurt. And I mean, he didn't play in the games today. I, I, they, they're claiming he's going to be ready for opening day, but, um, you know, that's besides the point. So uh, Billy Hamilton in round 11. Andrew Inciarte in round 11. Ian Desmond in round 11. Um, you know, those are all guys that run that are relatively flawed players. Uh, Ramon Laureano, Byron Buxton here. And this was pre-Byron Buxton having uh, an amazing spring training. So, I mean, all those stolen bases came off the board. And you're, you're starting to do the math in your mind saying to yourself, all right, well, I've got to get some steals. Well, Meadows is on a team that that doesn't deter their guys from running, has the ability to run, and has a shot to hit leadoff for a pretty underrated offense. So while I wasn't in love with the pick, in part because I missed out on Rich Hill because of it, um, but, and, 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 you know, Garrett Hampson went right afterwards, and Hampson was another guy I was weighing, but... I felt that Meadows' opportunity was a little more secure than Hampson, and that's turned out to be a, a pretty decent opinion based upon the way Ryan McMahon has performed. Um, you know, I, I just don't know that Hampson is locked into every day at bats to start the year. He might need he might need an injury or something else to happen in order to get there. I, I do love his talent though, um, but to me, I, I think Meadows was the right pick here, and and that put me at four outfielders now. So now I've I've, I've I've sort of resolved my issue with the outfielders by having Hanniger, Brantley, Piscotty, Meadows, and while they're not the highest upside uh, quartet, it's it's enough there and it's enough of a, a mix of talent that I, I felt pretty good about that position or group again, much like starting pitcher, where I didn't invest premium capital in it. I at least got four guys that I feel confident in and four guys that I feel comfortable with. Um, following up the medals pick, I, I took Joey Wendell. Um, this was a situation, again, where I felt like I didn't I, I, sort of chase, chasing the outfield there for a little bit. I, I sort of fell behind on middle infield, and I saw Hampson go. And um, earlier in, in the 12th round where I took medals, I saw Elvis Andrus go, and I remember he was a guy that I was eyeballing. Uh, so I, I started to reach a point where I needed some middle infield help, and I got sniped on Jorge Polanco right before I selected, um, and then Rich Hill went. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I've I've got Paul DeJong on my on my radar, but I, I simply can't take Paul DeJong because again he's he's a zero in speed, um, or at least has been that. Now I, I do think that there is a possibility this year that. DeJong runs a little more. He certainly has the athleticism too. Um, and he's run this spring a little bit. So, I mean, he could be a sneaky source of, you know, seven to 10 stolen bases, but I didn't feel comfortable betting on that. And even at seven to 10 stolen bases, it wasn't what I needed. So I, I took Joey Wendell. I, I like the versatility. I've mentioned it several times. Um, he had an, he had an amazing second half where, um, he really trimmed his strikeout rate. The quality of the contact took a big step forward. I don't think he's a 300 hitter, but I could easily see 280, you know, with uh, low teens pop, high teens speed, 
and pretty good run production and the flexibility that he offers me to sort of move him around into different spots, um, having uh, second base and third base and outfield eligibility. Um, I see on here he's listed with shortstop, but I don't think he's got it um, in TGFBI. But in any event, he, he gives me enough of um, a, a mix of talent that I was able to address the MI, get some speed without sacrificing everything else. Um, and then in round 14, I came back around with Wendell not having shortstop, um, at least as I understood it, which I'm like 90% sure I'm correct. Um, I, I took Ketel Marte, uh, who was the last of the shortstops that I wanted. Um, another leadoff man, which I, which I like. I, I wanted guys that are going to score runs because I think runs are a fairly scarce commodity. Um, Marte has run a little bit this spring, uh, and he ran mostly when he wasn't hitting in front of Goldschmidt and Pollock. Both those guys are gone now. So I'm hoping that Arizona takes the reins off. He's certainly fast enough to run. Uh, he showed pretty good pop. So, I mean, being realistic about this, I sort of put together Marte as kind of like a 16 homer, 12 stolen base, 275 hitter with good, with good RBI, good, uh, not good RBI totals, good run totals. Um, and, and that asset fit what I needed. So, you know, I, I've got Meadows for, you know, 20 to 25 steals. I've got Wendell for 15 to 20 steals and I've got Marte for 10 to 15 steals. And I've, I've kind of built up my steal base that way um, while not sacrificing batting average, while not completely sacrificing power and while not sacrificing run production and adding some versatility because Marte also has second base. So I've got Wendell with three positions. I've got Marte with two and he's probably going to add outfield. So it, it, it gives me the ability to sort of move pieces around as the year develops. Um, and while those three picks were sort of need picks um, based upon the way the draft developed, um, again, I, I landed on guys that I felt very confident in. And, and part of the reason why I'm okay with taking those three picks is my next few picks, which in round 15, I got Tyler Skaggs. In round 16, I got Jimmy Nelson. Now, these are two guys that I've been talking about since um, October. And, and Skaggs is, is a pitcher that um, I've, I've been targeting everywhere. He was fantastic in the first half. He got hurt and was never the same again. Um, the, the, the mix took a step forward last year. The defense behind him is fantastic. Um, he had a little bit of a forearm scare from throwing a new pitch, which he has since scrapped. Um, but he was back. He pitched today and pitched well to my eyes. So I'm not worried about Tyler Skaggs. Uh, I, I think that he's still a fantastic value. Um, yeah, there are injury concerns. He's never been able to stay healthy, yada, yada, yada. Round 15 in a 15-team league, it's a no-brainer to me. And, and Jimmy Nelson in round 16 also is a no-brainer. I mean, again, he's, he's been pitching. There's been no reports that he's had any sort of considerable, set, considerable setback. Um, you know, I know that they, were, they kind of pulled him back at the start of spring training. But since then, he's been ramping up. I, I just think that this is precautionary. I expect him to be in the rotation in mid-April. Um, I think that he is uh, probably their best shot 
add a frontline starting pitcher among the staff. And um, I, and I like a lot of their pitchers. I mean, I like Corbin Burns. I, I, I like Brandon Woodruff. I, I think Freddie Peralta is interesting. I, I don't know that he's very good. I mean, we've seen Chase Anderson be good. I don't feel very confident about him. But it's there's some talent on that staff. But I think the most talented pitcher is Jimmy Nelson when he's healthy. Um, and I, I, I think that he's going to get back to form with health. Um, you know, I, I, uh, the, the outing that I've seen, he looked good. He, he looked like he was a little, um, he had a little case of nerves because he hadn't pitched, but I mean, the stuff looked alive. Um, he was maybe having a little bit of trouble commanding it because of the jitters. But other than that, I mean, I, I think that Nelson is, capable of a top 30 type season and there's just not that many guys going at this point that are capable of that I mean he Marco Gonzalez went immediately after him um, Alex Reyes certainly has the stuff to put that together but I don't know that he's going to have the opportunity uh, John Lester Jose Quintana um, you know m- maybe in their best outcomes they do but you know they're they're their recent track record suggests otherwise. Um, so, I mean, there were, to me, Nelson was the guy that jumped out and jumped off the page. Um, so, around 17, 18, 19, uh, Steven Souza, Jake Lamb, AJ Minter. Um, I mentioned Minter earlier. I've got him in two places. I'm, I'm a little discouraged by the fact that he isn't going to be ready for opening day, and mostly because. I think that gives Aurora's Fiscaino a chance to run with the closers job. Um, you know, I, I, he's been throwing, so I mean, I'm anticipating that there's not a significant issue here where he's going to be out a, a large amount of time. But I do worry that Minter sort of falls back from a timeshare where, you know, he could seize the job to Vizcaino converts, you know, the first four or five chances and sort of just takes the job and runs with it. Um, with respect to the two Diamondbacks, I mean, I've talked about Souza many, many times. Uh, he's got significant power. He's got some speed. Uh, in 2017, he had a 30-16 season, and I believe that season could have been even better, uh, especially with respect to the batting average, which was hovering around the 260s um, prior to a hip injury, and it just never quite rebounded thereafter. Now injuries are always going to be a problem. They've added Adam Jones, which um, puts a little bit of a squeeze on Souza. But, you know, at, at this point, it, it, it's almost tough to find 30-15. I mean, Kevin Kiermaier is more of like a 10-20 type. Trey Mancini is like a 25-homer type, but no speed. Shin Su Chu is a low-20s pop guy with a handful of steals. Jay Bruce could pop 30 bombs, but he ain't going to steal any bases. And, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, this was sort of a unique player. Um, he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. And I, I like the fact that that run production is going to be there. And then Jake Lamb, um, you know, again, it's twenty upper 20s pop, um, handful of steals. The batting average won't be great, but this is why I went out and I've got Murphy and I got Brantley and uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado were priorities because I, I and, and Wendell was Wendell was a guy that I wanted as well. Uh, because I've got that batting average base to absorb these 245s and 250s 
that Souza and Lamb are going to give me um, without without killing my batting average completely. Um, so th- they, they were very easy picks in my mind. Um, then I took match. I took, uh, I'm so excited to talk about Matt Strom. I <laughs> took Ryan Zimmerman and then Matt Strom and then John Hicks. Um, Zimmerman, I've said it on the podcast. He's, he's a significant value to me. It's going to be a guy that could hit for 270, 275, with 25 bombs and good run production and really good lineup. We're just a year removed from what was a top 50 hitter season, and he's going in round 20. Um, so he's going close to pick 300 in this draft, and this was well above his ADP. So you can get him even cheaper than this. Um, I'm, I'm all over him. Uh, Matt Strom, you obviously know I'm all over. Um, this was... This was the ideal time to take him because the momentum hadn't yet picked up. Now the momentum has picked up, and I, I'm still on board, as as you will see. It's just, it's just he's not quite the value that he was even a few weeks ago. Um, but I, I still think the um, the juice is worth the squeeze, as they say. And John Hicks, you know, we're, we're two catcher format here. Um, the the press around the Tigers has been that they want to get Hicks. 400 to 450 plate appearances between backup catcher and first base and DH. That's exactly what I want. Um, I was a big fan of Hicks last year. Um, he got off to a pretty nice start, and you're noticing a pattern. Got hurt and was never the same thereafter. Um, I think he could hit 15 bombs. I think he could hit 260. Um, and, you know, that's pretty good out of a second catcher in a 15-team league especially when you're one of the last teams to take that second catcher. So round 23, Leonis Martin, um, then Michael Pineda and Ryan Presley. Uh, Martin is slated to hit, hit lead off for the Indians, which is never a bad thing. Uh, you know, he's got some pop. He's got some speed. He, he had that um, crazy illness last year. Uh, as far as we can tell, he's fully recovered and, and ready to play. Uh, there's not a lot of talent in that Indians outfield. I know they added Cargo, um, but I don't think that Cargo is going to take over for Martin. And and Martin is, is a guy that can play center, and obviously Cargo can't do that. So th- there's a lot to like with this pick. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some some batting average struggles. Yeah, the, the discipline is less than ideal, but he's also a guy that's changed his swing a little bit. It's got a little more pop than it had. Um, he's stolen 20-plus bases before in a major league season. Uh, so I, I thought that this was a significant value in round 23. Round 24 coming back, Michael Pineda. Um, you know, this is this is a pitcher that can fill the zone with strikes. Um, pitching in uh, a considerably better ballpark than Yankee Stadium where he spent um, most of his last, at least the last few years of his career. I know he'd spent time in Seattle before that. Um, you know, you, you temper your expectations because obviously he's going to give up the homers and he's going to have his starts where uh, the command inside the zone is not there. But he's also got the stuff to generate swings and misses. Uh, he will not kill you with walks, so the whip should be kept in check for the most part. And um, the more favorable ballpark and the more favorable division, let's not forget, I mean, he's going from facing Boston... Um, and and Toronto when they were good, and Baltimore when they were a playoff team, to facing 
the Kansas City Royals in their current incarnation, uh, the Detroit Tigers in their current incarnation, and the Chicago White Sox in their current incarnation. So there's there's a big-time divisional advantage there. Could very easily see a sub-4 ERA from Pineda um, with good, stru- good, good ratio. So uh, I think that's a nice pick there. Uh, Ryan Presley, um, you know, this was this was strictly about Ks and ratios here. But he, but to me, he is the primary setup guy in in Houston, and um, you know Roberto Ozuna obviously has his issues, so he's he's one mess up away from from being in line for saves there in my mind. But even if he's not, I mean, you know, you're you're looking at a guy that has one of the one of the best breaking pitches in baseball by spin rate, um, a guy that excelled when he got traded to Houston, but even in his time in Minnesota was was outstanding last year uh so and just a guy that can go multiple innings too so it's it's he's going to be a high inning reliever he's going to be a ratio helper um he can help insulate some of my risk that's in my staff from Jimmy Nelson and Michael Pineda and and you Darvish and, and Zach Wheeler so I mean if I get some missed time there um I don't know that I'm going to run out to the wire to get a starting pitcher I might just plug in Presley and I might pr- plug in Presley most weeks depending on where I am in the standings and, and how everything is going with the terms of the relievers. I mean, at this point, I've got um, I've got Kirby Yates. I, I felt like I was getting about 15 saves from A.J. Minter. We'll see if that happens. But, you know, with those two in-house, my thought was, let me get a premium ratio guy. Um, and then on the way back, I got one of my favorite values, which is Sergio Romo, who's going to close in Miami. I mean, Drew Steckenrider has been uh, abysmal this, this, this spring training. Um, Romo is the cost-controlled um, player compared to Steckenrider. Um, last year, he was very serviceable for Tampa. Miami is an ideal park for him to pitch in. And, yeah, it won't always be pretty, but at the same time, saves are saves, and I think that Romo in a first half in Miami could easily rack up 12 to 15. Um, you know, that might sound nuts, but Miami's pitching staff is pretty good. And, you know, it, the, the save opportunities do follow teams that win games, but you also have to remember that teams that are have good pitching, as, as we're starting to believe that Miami does, and don't have good hitting are going to win a lot of low-scoring games when they do win their games, and that creates the save situations. So uh, Romo here was um, a nice little value pick to me to get a closer in round 26 of a 15-team league, or at least who I think is the closer. Um, Chad Green uh, is is just building upon, that's my round 27 pick, was just building upon Ryan Presley. Um, Once again, ratio helper. Uh, Steven Duger, round 28. Going to be the leadoff guy against righties in San Francisco um, and has enough pop to make the speed playable. Sort of a 10-20 guy. Yeah, the batting average isn't going to be great, but the BABIP skills should um, insulate from too much downside due to the strikeout rate, and he knows how to take a walk. Round 29, I took Dansby Swanson. Um, that is, I strictly felt like I wanted some depth in the middle infield. I wasn't. Uh, in love with anybody on the board at this point. Um, so I decided to take Swanson. And then around 30, I took Drew Pomerantz. And, and this was my uh, Nick Ligatino special, 
because Nick and I discussed this pick because I'm notorious for overthinking late draft picks. And when we, we discussed Drew Pomerantz, I, he, he just made these, these, these great points about how, um, you know, Pomerantz was such a fantastic pitcher in, in San Diego and even in Boston prior to last year that if you had put that pitcher in San Francisco, uh, he would very easily be going inside the top 40. Um, and here he was in round 30 of a 15-team draft. And, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, if Pomerantz comes out and he's, and he's starting and he's throwing 86 again, he's very easy to cut bait with. But if the velocity is up around 91, he can live there with, with, with the curveball and the cutter, um, you know, especially in that ballpark, especially in that division because of all the favorable pitcher's parks that there are. Um, so there, there's the potential that that's a significant value pick as well. 